Good morning, First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. Hope you're all having a wonderful week. Thank you so much for tuning in to our online services. We are officially in phase two this morning, but we still are recording this for those who are taking care of themselves and uh, regarding their own personal safety, which we encourage you to do. Um, if you still don't yet feel comfortable being uh, in our midst, we, we completely understand, and we want to provide this opportunity um, to film the sermon for you still in the midst of phase two. It's a special morning at Gray Gables this morning. We are uh, adding some to our covenant community. We've got two uh, brand new church members we are going to present who are going to sign our covenant. And so I wanted to let you know that, and uh, I'm excited um, for what God is doing. It's always an exciting day. Uh, at First Baptist Church of Gray Gables when we are able to open God's Word together. This morning we find ourselves back in First Thessalonians. Uh, we actually began this journey last Sunday. Pastor Justin preached on the first word. Uh, I'm not going to just preach on the second word, but we won't get much further uh, than that. Uh, this morning we're going to consider the second part of sort of this introductory formula, specifically this phrase, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That will be our text for today. Uh, let me read just the first verse of the first chapter, and then we will jump right in together. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Baptist Church of Gray Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Gracious Father, Lord, um, we adore you and we love you. We know that we love you because you have first loved us. Father, we recognize, acknowledge, we, we confess together that we are dependent in every moment upon the grace that you provide and the righteousness you've given us in Jesus Christ. Um, Father, we thank you that we can gather together as a people, not striving and laboring to, to merit or earn something that which you've already freely given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. But instead, we are able to meet together, to tune in together, to celebrate. So we come to receive the food of your word, Father. We Come to celebrate the work of the gospel. Would you grant us much grace today? We're here to bring you glory, but we're also here to receive. So we come with open hands, expectant and excited to meet with you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, according to the Hartford Institute of Religion Research, more than 40% of people say that they go to church each week. Uh, but statistics really show that that number is about half of that. Actually, 20% that actually attend week in and week out or a couple weeks a month. It also states more than 4,000 churches close their doors every year. In fact, between 2010 to 2012, uh, half of the churches in the U.S. did not even add a single member. Each year, uh, 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. And, and according to a, a book that's entitled, Why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore, 
uh, hundreds of interviews and extensive hands-on research from a variety of sources reveal that according to this book, there are four basic reasons why nobody wants to come to church anymore. The four basic reasons um, why nobody wants to come to church anymore, and they boil down to this. People don't want to be lectured. That's the first reason. And then they see the church as judgmental, hypocritical, and irrelevant. So the question before us this morning is, how do we see the church? How do we see the church? And I assert this morning that 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 actually has a lot to say about what the church is. Specifically from Paul's formula here, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This has three things to teach us about the church. But I want to add a special application point at the very beginning. That is, it's my hope that you'll see by the end of this sermon this morning why we should love a church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. That's the title of our sermon, How to Love a Church. Why we should love the church and really why we have to love the church. So the big idea if this, of this text, if I... If I just wanted to boil it down and communicate it simply to you, would be this. Paul is writing to a church, the church of the Thessalonians. Paul is writing to a church, the church of the Thessalonians. That's the big idea. And now let's jump right into these three points. Uh, The first point is this. The church, a church is the people of God. A church is the people of God. That is, at its core, what a church is. Now, how do we see this from this particular text? Well, the Greek word for church that's used here in our text is the word ecclesia. Uh, That's the word that is often translated into English as church. Now, that in itself obviously doesn't tell us much about the church being the people of God. But when we understand that this Greek word is used elsewhere in the New Testament, and actually to refer to the Old Testament people of God, it helps us quite a bit. Consider this, for instance, in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. This is he who is in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers. Remember, that's Stephen speaking, by the way, before the Sanhedrin, shortly before he is about to be stoned to death. He's talking about Moses, who is with the congregation in the wilderness. That word congregation is the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, congregation or church. This is the one who is in the church, <clears throat> in the wilderness, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. This congregation is referring to the people of Israel, the Old Testament people of God as we know them. We see the same thing happening in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Again, assembly, it's the word ecclesia, the church. It's the same word. And that's actually a quote from Psalm 22. And David, it, it obviously is referring to the Old Testament people of God, Israel. Uh, Furthermore, ecclesia is used into the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which is what we know as the Septuagint. If you've ever heard that word, that's what that is. It's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, and the word 
was often used to refer to the people of God. Ecclesia was often used to refer to the people of God, meaning assembly or congregation. It would be Ecclesia, it would be the same word. So for instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 30, we read, Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. That is Ecclesia. So why do we need to know this? Here's, here's my assertion here. Paul, right, formerly the, the Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin, was well aware that Ecclesia had this connotation of being used to refer to the Old Testament people of God in Israel. Uh, it's so much, in fact, that one commentator, T.J. Dyden, says this. He says, it seems unreasonable to doubt that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul is thinking of the Christians of Thessalonica as members of the church of God and that he is fully aware of the biblical background and theological implications of his use of the term. <coughs> Excuse me. Furthermore, if we look at the immediate context, we find that Paul actually uses a couple of expressions that support this idea that he's interchangeably using Ecclesia for the New Testament church as a gathering of, of Israelites and Gentiles in the same way that he used the gathering in Israel in the Old Testament. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians and look what he says here. He says these particular words, knowing beloved brethren your election by God. Knowing beloved brethren your election by God. Expressions like this were, were previously only used to refer to Israel. Israel was the brethren that was beloved by God. Israel was the elect nation, the chosen people of God. Uh, this congregation or church, a majority of which here in 1 Thessalonians is primarily made up of Gentiles, is now referred to as the elect of God. Those chosen by God, loved by God with a special covenantal love. So this ecclesia of the Thessalonians is now the people of God in the same way that Israel was the people of God. In fact, if we want to cast our net even further and consider the broader context of the New Testament, our conclusion would be confirmed. Uh, consider the, Paul, the letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians at Ephesus, right? He writes this in, in Ephesians 2, chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, 13 to, really to 19, that section. He says, remember you that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. And verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are the people of God. That is who Paul is now writing to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, to the church. And according to the Bible, there is one people of God in the present age consisting of both Jews and Gentiles who have been brought in together into the household of God by the blood of Christ. The one household is the church. 
Here's the point. If this is so, if this is what the church is, then you should love the church. If a church is not just a gathering of people who are like-minded around their values or political ideals or any other reason for gathering together other than they have been purchased by the blood of Christ and are now the people of God, our attitude towards them has to be one of love and kindness. It has to be. Yes, we should love our neighbor. But remember, Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Yes, do good to everyone. That's, of course, a Christian principle, especially, though, to those who are of the household of faith. Yes, we should love our neighbor. But if, if your love for your neighbor is greater than your love for your own family, then something's out of whack there, right? If you are committed to loving your neighbor... Uh, as much as you are to loving the people in your own physical home, there's something out of whack. I mean, think about it. You, you wouldn't buy Christmas presents for the kids next door and not get anything for your kids, would you? Can you imagine? Coming in with a bag of toys from Target or wherever and your kids are like, what's that, daddy? And, and you say, I got the, the kids next door a bag of gifts for Christmas. They're going to love them. Uh, I didn't get you a thing, right? That, that would be ridiculous. Listen, you wouldn't take the woman next door <clears throat> out to eat, would you? Please tell me that you wouldn't while you're ignoring and despising your own wife. You would not do that, would you? Listen, the church is the people of God. And if you belong to Christ, then you belong to them and they belong to you. Your priority is that people. God loves all people, certainly. But listen, only the church is, is what we would call beloved and chosen by God. So ask yourself this application question this morning. Do I love the church? Do I love the people of God? That's the question. Do you? And let me add a question to that. How do you know that you do? How do you know you love the people of God, the household of God? Well, before answering that question, I want to move to the second thing we see in our text. Not only is the church uh, the people of God, but a church is the people of God in a particular place. A church is the people of God in a particular place. So let me state at the outset that I am uh, well aware that there are good reasons why we talk about the church universal. And by that, I mean, in one sense, we can talk about the church capital C as all of God's people in Christ in all places across all times. That is the church, capital C, universal. I get that. But that church, capital C, is primarily made up of the local church. Local churches being in particular places at particular times, covenanting communities where Christ's followers come together to worship God, to strengthen and encourage one another, to live life together, to hold one another 
accountable to pursue the glory and honor of their creator king. It is really this use, the small c, local, particular church that Paul is referring to here in 1 Thessalonians. In fact, this letter, like almost every other New Testament epistle, is written not to the church universal, at least not directly, He's directly written it to a particular church. Uh, Paul writes to the church of the Thessalonians, not to the church of the Ephesians or the Corinthians or the Callahanians. It's not who he writes to specifically or directly. Now, reason with me for just a moment. Think about this. Paul pins this letter and he sends it with someone to deliver to the church of the Thessalonians. How does the messenger know where to take it? If, if, if church is just the church, the universal church, and, and we're at church wherever we are, and we're not connected to a local particular church, and the Bible doesn't maybe support that in your mind, that we should be connected to a local particular church, if our commitment and relationship to one another means absolutely nothing, How does the letter carrier know where to take the letter to the Thessalonians? Did he make copies and pin it up around town? Remember, the gospel message was not well received in Thessalonica. In Acts 17, we see this. I doubt uh, the letter carrier would have just went through the city proclaiming this message, nor was it probably played on the local Christian radio station. He had to know where to take it. There was a group of people for whom the letter was intended, and there were others for whom it wasn't intended. The group of people that it was intended to go to was called the church, the church of the Thessalonians. Furthermore, much of the letter, by the way, makes little sense, actually, if you don't conceive this as a particular definite visible body in Thessalonica. Think about this. Take uh, chapter 5, verses 12 through 13 of 1 Thessalonians, for example. It says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That's not very applicable to the universal church, right? A conception of church in that way It's only applicable in a local particular church where there are leaders designated to be responsible over that particular flock. Where they know their flock and their flock knows them. The flock is able to esteem them because they know who their leaders are. The leaders are able to watch over and protect the flock because they know who is their flock. That's the church. The people of God in a particular place at a particular time. Listen, Ecclesia, that word we looked at, meaning church, it is used to describe the universal church in several places. I I don't argue that. But do you know how many times it's used to describe the universal church? Roughly about 18 to 19 times. But you want to know how many times the same word is used to refer to a particular body of believers at a particular place in the New Testament? 90 to 91 times. Uh, it's clear by that the emphasis is on these 
covenantal communities who have come together, committed to do life together, to order their lives according to the word of God. To practice the graces of God, like baptism and the Lord's Supper, to edify one another, to counsel one another, to teach and encourage one another. That happens in community. One other line of evidence from the context of 1 Thessalonians, if there wasn't a specific group that this letter was intended to be read to, then you can't also make sense out of verse 27 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Look what it says. It says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. You see, they knew who the brothers and sisters were in Thessalonica. Uh, Paul puts them under charge here. You are to read this letter to them. This letter is binding. It's a serious affair to read this letter to the brothers. Now, it's complete nonsense. They didn't know who the brothers were. Now, a moment ago, remember, I asked you whether you love the church, and I followed that up with a question, how do you know, right? Uh, it is my contention that you can't really love the church, capital C, unless you love a church, particular and local. I, I really truly believe that. You can't love the church, the universal church, capital C, unless you love a church, particular and local. Listen, you may love the idea of a church, and, and most likely in your mind, it's the idea of a fully glorified church. What I mean by that is it's that body of saints perfected that always treats you with the appropriate amount of love and kindness that never step on your toes or ever cause you any difficulties or problems, but you can't really love the church while refusing to love in concrete ways a particular church. There is a world of difference between loving the concept of family and loving a family, isn't it? Uh, can you imagine? Uh, just saying, man, I, I love the idea of family. Family is great. I believe in the institution of family, and yet I despise my own family. Listen, we see this in society today, right? You can say that you love poor people, but, but check and see if anyone who says they love the poor, if they ever have a relationship with a single poor person. Love, listen to me, love as an abstract principle is easy, <clears throat> but love as a concrete reality, it's messy and it's difficult. Uh, it requires the grace of God in our lives. It is the same way with a church. I want to I talk to two different groups of people here. Uh, the first is that group that, that, listen, maybe you've been burned in the past, you've been part of a church, and you've been deeply wounded, whether by an individual or a body at large, or, or maybe you've been wrongly taught that the church really, the beginning of the and the end of the church, is just the universal church. Maybe some of you have never even really considered the matter. To you, I want to say this to you. To you, I want to say that a church is the people of God in a particular place, and if you belong to Christ, you belong to God's people. That you've been called into a covenant relationship to them, to love them, to labor with them, to be wounded by them, as will happen, but to forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. Listen, most of the New Testament is written to local 
particular churches and the ethical teaching is not meant for you and your neighbor primarily, it's meant for you and your brother and sister in Christ. Why is that? It's, it's because you can fake it with your neighbor and I can even go and serve the poor people in Jacksonville and I can love them for an hour a week. But if I've got to love my brother and sister in Christ week in and week out when they see the worst of me, not just on Sunday morning when I show up and leave immediately after service, but when I'm spending real time with them throughout the week, whether I'm texting and calling, this kind of laboring together, it is costly and it's hard. And yet it's what we're called to do together in Christ. Friends, if you don't belong to a particular local church, my charge to you is to find one, join one, love them, serve them. If you belong to Christ and you don't belong to a local particular church, it is time to commit to a local particular church. Listen, I'm not even promoting FBC Greg Abel's here. I want to see each and every person committed to a local, particular church that proclaims the full counsel of God, that practices the sacraments faithfully, that has a biblical understanding of church membership and church discipline. If you find that church, join them and love them. But there's another group, to the second group. It's those of us who are already in that relationship. Those of us who are already committed to a local, personal, particular church. I'm not just talking about membership, by the way. And that's, this is what I want to say. I'm not simply talking about merely joining a church when I talk about this. I'm talking about life together in a covenant relationship. I'm talking about a commitment that goes beyond the bonds of even earthly family. I'm talking about presence. I'm talking about sharing your heart and your life in a way that costs you something. Have you, ever, have you ever loved a church in that way? This is how you know whether you've loved a church. First, have you joined one and have you loved them and labored with them? And secondly, have you loved them and have done life with them in such a way that it actually costs you something? Whether it's your own vulnerability at some point or uh, stepping out of your comfort zone. This is what it means to love a particular church. There's one more thing we need to see from this text. One more reason why you should love a church. See, the church is not just the people of God. It's not just the church uh, is the people of God in a particular place even, but Finally, thirdly, a church is the redeemed people of God in a particular place. Look at what he says in our text to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if the church is the people of God in covenantal relationship with God, uh, we, we there see some continuity between Israel and the church, right? But when we read God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we're reminded that there's also a, a discontinuity, that we're no longer people brought together because of the will of man. We are no longer a group of people brought together because of progeny or procreation or because we're keeping any system, but instead we're a people brought together in Christ Jesus. We're a people that have been purchased by his blood, belonging to the Father in right relationship with him. We are, at our core, redeemed. 
And Paul told the Ephesian elders while he was passing by, he, he called the Ephesian elders and he, he said, come down to, to meet with me. And he said many things, but in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, listen to what he says. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, Paul was talking to a group of elders that were shepherding a particular local church, and he reminded them that those people who you are overseeing are actually purchased by the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. We gather together, not first and foremost because we enjoy one another's company, but because week in and week out, we have to be reminded that we are those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. So listen, that means we gather together when we don't feel like it. We gather together when we're exhausted and miserable. We gather together when, when maybe our kids are losing their mind and being in service or, or maybe we're, we're on the internet and the internet's spotty and we've got to work through it. We still gather in together. Listen, there are times, let me be honest with you, there are times when I come to church miserable. Can I confess that? Hold on. I don't know why. I, I, I don't have a reason even. It's very true. You know me. If you do know me, you know I can be a grump, particularly in the mornings. Uh, sometimes I am miserable. But friends, I am redeemed. Uh, we are God's people and he is our God. No longer circumcised in the flesh, but in the heart, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so is the church full of judgmental hypocrites? Yup. But there's room for one more. In fact, if you want to know just how unsanctified you really are, commit yourself to a local church and try to love them. Listen, friends, at the end of the day, it's not about who we are. It's about whose we are. And so we should love a church because a church is the redeemed people of God in their particular place. And so listen to me. We began with lines from this book, why nobody wants to go to church anymore. Let me close with a, with a quote from it. They said this, they said, we have heard thousands of people tell us their stories. And the common thread is that the average church service is not connecting with them. People want God, just not how the church packages God. Okay, let me give you my response to that quote. Let me give you Paul's response to that quote, and let me give you a biblical response to that quote. If you don't want the church, then friends, you don't want the God that created the church. If, if you have no interest in the church as the people of God, then it reveals a heart issue that you actually don't want the God whose bride is his people, the church. And if that's the case, my heart goes out to you. Uh, and you need to know that what you need is to check your relationship with him, to see if you have one. If you do, then, then immediately what you need to do is join yourself to a local particular church who loves Christ and serves him. But if you don't, then, then hear this. Jesus Christ has redeemed a people for himself. He died on the cross for the sin of mankind so that we would receive his righteousness and he would take on our sin.
even though he didn't deserve it, even though he was perfect, a holy, righteous God punished his own son so that we may have eternal life. And if, if you don't have a relationship with a particular local church, it may be indicative that you don't have a relationship with the God of the church. So, so let me encourage you, if that's you, call out to him and ask him to save you. But friends, primarily, this is for us. And look, I know this is an interesting time talking to you through a computer screen. I want you to hear my heart. I, there are ways even now where, where we've got to find ourselves if, if we're not able to come, healthy enough to come, if we're concerned about this, we've still got to find ways to love and labor with the church. I, I've got to find better ways to shepherd you in the midst of this time. And, and believe me, I'm, I'm searching my brain um, on how to do that. But let's come together and think about how we can labor and strive together for no other reason than the fact that the church is the, is the redeemed people of God in a particular place. And we're part of that. We get to be part of that. So we praise God for his work. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, Lord, we are so humble and grateful this morning to be reminded by your word that we are redeemed people, that we gather together not because of our own initiative, but because of your, your sovereign grace. We gather together not simply, Lord, as an act of obedience, but out of a desperate need to meet with you again, to receive from your hand the food which feeds our souls, the grace which you give through your word and through your sacraments and through, Lord, the proclaiming of the gospel through the encouragement of the saints, we do want to celebrate you this morning. We ask that you be pleased to receive our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving in Christ as a pleasing sacrifice, as a pleasing aroma. Father, be with us now as we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Friends, if you're not part of a local church and you're listening to this, I'd encourage you, please reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to walk you through our church membership process, even as we have those on Sunday who are joining um, we'd love to have you be a part of our church. And if, if you're not sure about your relationship with the Lord, please reach out again. We'd love to hear from you um, and, and share with you how you can have a right relationship with the God who created his beautiful bride, the church. I love you. I'm thankful for you tuning in. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you hopefully soon. God bless.